Uh, so that you know, the building is not burning down, all right? Uh, the Lord was just really moving. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, I have been informed that the heater out in the uh, lobby area is on the fritz. So anyway, so we've cut that off. But I did want to let you know that because my wife leaned over to me and she's like, hey, what's on fire? You know, which is, you know, I, I'm, I, I will talk about this actually. I'm, I'm very oblivious to most things. Uh, and so I'm worshiping and stuff. My wife is, hey, your church is on fire. You know, so thanks, babe. No, 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 literally, it's on fire. So everything's good. Crisis averted there. So I appreciate our volunteer fire department for uh, giving us the heads up on, on what that is, Mr. Tony. So I appreciate that. Y'all, I am, have I ever told y'all that I am just honored to be your pastor? Uh, man, God is doing an incredible work in North. Uh, last week, we took up our seed division offering. If you got your bulletins, uh, you saw on that, you saw, uh, you see the total amount. Uh, understand that we've been taking up uh, money for a while. Main campus and some people have already given to that. But guys, we took up the over $15,000 just North Church. So y'all, y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise, man. That is unbelievable. That doesn't even count our, our offerings, which were actually up as well, our tithe, which was actually up as well. Uh, and so we're going to continue that giving. We're going to do three more opportunities, give you three more opportunities. If you had planned to do that quarterly, we want to give you that. I know my family and I, we like to do the quarterly giving. We can kind of space it out and budget for it a little bit more. And so we're going to offer that three more times in 2020. Uh, so there'll be other opportunities to give as well, but 15000 and what I think is also really incredible. Uh, so we have, we've been growing steadily since we've been uh, here and been in existence since August. And our launch day, we had 167 folks, um, which I thought was a tremendous number. We were excited. Uh, you know, my whole family was there. Will's whole family was there. We had a bunch of people from the main campus that came. We had all the looky-loos and the tire kickers and the well-wishers and all the other hyphenated word people that, you know, could possibly come. We had 167 here. Last week, we had 171 folks. We've officially eclipsed even our launch date number. And I just thought it was so incredible. Uh, Andy John the pastor of the main campus, their new pastor of the main campus, told me, he said, who would have thought six months leading into an offering that the day that you have the offering, we have the highest attendance that we've ever had as a church. And so, uh, man, God's doing an incredible work over, like I said, over $15,000. And so I just want to, I want to celebrate that with you guys. I, I want to celebrate uh, because God is doing something incredible here. And I'm going to be honest with you, as your pastor, I'm just hanging on for dear life, man. I, I am loving what's going on. Uh, and so we're excited about the momentum that we have getting into this new building, regardless of how much work we have to do. Uh, or not do for it, uh, but we are excited, and I hope you are as well. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to me, Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> who can tell me, who can tell me what that is? Okay, it's not just a tire. See, I, I thought someone was going to go with tire first. Right? This is a specific type of tire. And Eric said, this is a spare tire. Now, 
Eric, what, what is it that, that tells you, why, why do we know that this is a spare tire? Anybody, anybody want to, want to, want to take a stab at it? It's going to roll all across the stage. You didn't think about that. Who can tell me why we know this is a spare tire? Because <laughs> I'm not using it, obviously, if it's on my vehicle. Nah, nah, touche. All right. Everybody in their vehicle, supposed to at least, has a spare tire. There is not a piece of equipment in the world that is more neglected 99.9% of the time than a spare tire. The reason why I know that this is my spare tire is because it looks like junk. Right? The, the, the hub is rusted. On the other side, it's completely rusted. Right? The wheels are kind of unkept. There's marks all over it. I mean, the, listen, we like to shine up our car and we like to do the, if we're really going all out and we go to Mr. in Athens, right? We, we get the tire shine. I love that. I love doing that kind of stuff. We, we take care of the tires that we see, but the most neglected piece of equipment in your vehicle, chances are, is your spare. I asked my wife this question. I have a feeling other people feel, know this. Other people feel this way. Um, I'm sure there are some of you in this room that aren't even aware of how to access that spare tire. Right? You don't have to raise your hand, all right? But I am quite certain there are other people in this room, my wife is not alone, that have no idea how to access their spare tire. I know that because I just figured out how to access mine the other day. Right? And so, and so here's the thing. We have this spare tire. We have this piece of equipment that is there for emergencies, but there is nothing in our vehicle more that's more neglected than our spare tire. So when I was in college, we, tires obviously were important. I lived in, I, I went to school at the University of Mobile, still lived in North Alabama and over in Madison County in Hazel Green. And I would have to drive all the time. I would drive to go to school. Right, and so it wasn't commuting or anything. But my freshman year, man, I was, I was super homesick. Um, I had just been used to living at home. I had a girlfriend break my heart, and so everybody say, "Oh, thank you." Uh, I had a girlfriend break my heart. I was as homesick as anybody, as anything. I, and and I would literally. So I was on staff at a church. I was a pastoral intern at a church. I would literally drive home Friday at around lunch when my class would be over. I would drive home five hours, five and a half, depending on how fast you drive. Um, I would drive home. I would stay Friday night and Saturday, and I would wake up extremely early in the morning on Sunday morning, and I would drive all the way down to Mobile so that I'd be at church when I needed, when I needed to be. And one particular time... We were, I was driving, and uh, I was, I had Hillsong playing, the, the original Hillsong, right? Hillsong, United We Stand, anybody? Yeah? No? No? Okay. Got me through a major, major, major stuff in my life, okay? And so I'm, I'm playing this on repeat, and I'm just singing along, and all of a sudden I hear what sounds to be a helicopter landing on my vehicle, all right, and so being the unhandy person that I am, I'm not thinking it's me. I'm I'm looking, like where is this helicopter and why is it landing on my vehicle? And so I look around. About that time, I see a piece of rubber fly, and then I realize what's actually happening. My tire has blown out, and so I am in the middle of between Mobile and Montgomery. In what is no man's land. I, and I'm, I'm about two miles past the, the rest stop. 
and I'm about two miles from the Castleberry Lennox exit. That is exit 83, and it is always in my mind forever. All right? So I get off the side of the road, and I start jacking up my car, and I get my spare out, and I'm thinking, you know what? I've got maybe... 60 miles left, like I can make it, and then I'll handle all the tire stuff later. And I put on my spare tire, and I jack that bad boy back down, and right on the rim. I mean, it is flat as a flitter. And so I do something that you're not supposed to do. I take my flat tire, and instead of like, you know, calling somebody, I don't know what would have happened, I've got to get to church. So I drive, I limp down the road, um, not even in a lane, I'm just down down the road, (laughs) and I pull into exit 83, and there is a man at the gas station, the gas gas station clerk informs me that their uh, air tank doesn't work great, because, you know, anytime you need them, uh, they're not there. And a man who is eating breakfast, who everybody in the place knew as Chicken Man, if I'm lying, I'm dying, Chicken Man tells me, hey, buddy, I've got a bunch of tires, used tires, up in my junkyard one mile down the road. So I limp down the road, down to Chicken Man's junkyard, where the dude has a hundred billion chickens in his junkyard. He has about 20 turkeys, and one peacock, all right? And he proceeds to go into an old bus, grab me a tire, put it on my vehicle, doesn't bother to balance it or anything like that. Later that week, it's dry rot's completely out, and I have to replace it again. It was a whole big chronicle, but going into Chicken Man's junkyard, all because I had a spare tire that was neglected. It was, it's the one piece of equipment that we just don't think about on a daily basis. I heard this quote from Corey Ten Boone, and it changed my life this week. Corey Boone said this, Do we treat our prayer life like a steering wheel or a spare tire? Do we treat our, do we treat our prayer life like a steering wheel, right? Now, this is obviously my son's little steering wheel, but it's the only steering wheel I had, right? Do we use it to direct us? I'm just trying not to hit the power button because it will talk to us. Uh, Do we treat it like a steering wheel that directs everything that we do? Where we turn, if there's anything that we pay attention to in our car, it's our steering wheel, right? Do we treat our prayer life like it is the thing that is directing where we go in life or More often do we treat it like an emergency plan that we only need in case we really, really need it. This series that we're going to be in, the title of it is Doing Work. Doing Work. And we're going to be talking about how we prepare for God to do an amazing work through us. What does it look like as a child of God to prepare for what God has for us? And so today, here's my prayer for today. My prayer for today is not that you receive something, you hear something from me that speaks to your heart. I pray that God today speaks directly to you. That he speaks directly to you. We're in the book of Nehemiah, and we're talking about, obviously, Nehemiah building these walls. We're in a time of transition in our church where we're transitioning to a permanent location. But we can't miss... We can't miss what is vital for us. If God is going to do a work in us, 
He desires to do it through us, and we must make ourselves ready. And there is nothing that is more important in doing that than your prayer life. Oftentimes in our spiritual walk, there's a million things that we give attention to. I mean, we'll, be, we'll come to church. We'll come to church. We'll go to Sunday school. We'll serve. We'll do whatever we need to do. We'll make sure that we pray before our meals. Right? We do, ev- we do everything that we're supposed to do as good godly people. But our prayer life is just not on the radar. We'll even study God's Word, right? And our prayer life is a 30-second howdy to God while we're out the door, right? And so, and so how much we are missing as children of God when we neglect this area of our life. And so Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to look at Nehemiah's prayer. And we're gonna, I'm going to give you, this is unconventional, I understand that, but it's okay. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray as we go through this service. I'm going to give you an opportunity between you and the Lord to pray about certain areas and aspects that were important in ne- to Nehemiah and they're important to us today. And so I hope that you have your, your worship guide that you can write in. You can write these notes down in your worship guide because there's going to be things that you're going to write out that you're going to pray over. Uh, if you don't have that, take out your phone. Get into notes, right? Don't get on anything else. Don't get on Facebook or anything else, but get on to notes and, and write out what God has for you Today, I pray that you would just make yourself ready for God to do an incredible work in you. Hudson Taylor said this, When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And man, there's things that I can accomplish in a day, but I can't come close to what God can accomplish in the same amount of time. And so how we unlock the power of God is by treating our prayer life like a steering wheel, right? The thing that we pay more attention to than maybe anything else in our vehicle directing us along this path of spirituality. And so beginning in in, in, uh, verse 1, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to say Nehemiah's prayer was dot, 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 and we've got six things I want to bring out. Number one, Nehemiah's prayer was noticed through need. Nehemiah's prayer was noticed through need. Listen to what it says in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Kislev in the, 20 year, in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped. Who had, sur- who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Under- understand the, the time that this is written, the nation of Israel is in exile. They're in exile, and Nehemiah is there serving in exile as a Jew. So from the nation of Israel, which the name Yisrael in Hebrew literally means God prevails. And the nation whose name is God prevails is surrendered in exile. Okay, you see the irony there. 
The, name, the, the, the place whose name is God prevails is, is in exile as a defeated foe. And Nehemiah, when his literal brother, we believe this to be his literal brother, Hanani, comes in, he immediately asks him, asks him about the people that are still in Israel. What is the condition of the Jews in Israel, and we are given a very, very grim report. When I started thinking in my studies, what, what if this conversation had never happened? I'm sure Nehemiah, being the cupbearer to the king, I'm sure he had responsibilities. I'm sure he had things going on. I'm sure his plate was pretty full. What if he had talked about everything in the world with his brother except things that really matter? What if he had said, hey man, how's it going? Good to see you. Nice to have you here. I've got some stuff to do. I'm out, right? What if Nehemiah had never noticed the need of the situation that was in Israel? What if he, that, that conversation never happened? What if he was so focused on what he was doing in his life and in his, in his little world? What if he was so narrow-minded in his focus that he never thought to consider the people that were outside his immediate impact. We can never meet a need that we don't see. And we will never see a need until our focus is shifted off of ourselves. We will never meet a need that we don't see. Now the incredible story of what happens in Nehemiah is well documented. Right? And we're going to get into that of how he builds this wall and the intentionality that he, that he has. And there's so much truth that we can glean from that, especially in the area that we're in is our, our church. But what if he never had the conversation? What if he was so focused on himself that he never thought to consider the great need of others? You see, I believe this is how many of us live our entire lives. I joked earlier, I am a very, very unobservant person. In fact, I'm probably the most unobservant person in this room. It is amazing the things that my wife will do in our house, and then she just doesn't tell me about them, and she waits for me to comment on them. And see how long, and it used to, it might have have hurt her feelings, but now it's just a funny thing with us. Now she just will make this massive change, like, hey, I painted this whole room, and, you know, three months later, I'm like, hey, I really like this color, when did you paint it? Right? And so I am just completely and totally unobservant. In fact, you might use the word oblivious, okay? I am just sometimes completely oblivious to things that are going on, like apparently the smell of smoke in our church, right? I'm just oblivious to things that are going on. And for me, a lot of times, it's not that I literally want someone to be condemned to hell. It's just that I never think about the reality that they are. It's not that I want them to die and spend an eternity in hell, but it's just I'm so focused on me and my schedule and what I've got to do and what I've got to accomplish that it never crosses my mind. Church, right there, proves to us the selfishness of how we approach our life. What if we, instead of, instead of allowing ourselves and our life and what we see on a day-to-day basis to run and, and to, to dictate everything that we do, instead of reacting to everything that we come across in our life, what if we took time to look around and to see the great need of others? 
It's not enough to just say, well, I didn't think about it. You know what I found? When I'm where I need to be with the Lord, I begin to recognize the spiritual need in others. And typically, if I can go through a day and it never dawn on me that somebody has a spiritual need that I need to meet, typically, that means that I'm not where I need to be either. And my life is focused on myself. And so here's what, we, here's what I want to do. On your notes or wherever you have, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment right now. I want you to write down at least three people. Three people. It can be first name, that's fine. If you don't want to do first and last, that's fine. I want you to write down three people that you know, you know that have a need in their life, and I want you to pray for them right now. All right? Right now... Three people that you know that have, maybe it's a physical, maybe it's a spiritual, but people that you know that have a need in their life. I want you to write them down, and I want you to pray for all three of them by name to yourself, quietly in your own heart. All right? Take time to do that now. Father God, we admit, God, that we are selfish people. And your word tells us that whoever would Seek to gain his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God, I pray that we would allow ourselves margin in our life, that we would not be so saturated by our own needs, but God, we would be looking also to the needs of others. God, that is, a, that is the key of ministry. God, to see the needs of those around us. Let us not be guilty of the sin, God, of the Levite and of the priest in the parable of the Good Samaritan. God, that we've got our own thing going and we don't have time to take care of the beggar that's been beaten on the side of the road. But God, I pray that we would be people that are motivated by you, by your gospel, and God, that we are meeting the needs of others. In your name we pray. Amen. Number two, it was noticed through need, but Nehemiah's prayer was born out of brokenness. Look at what it says in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. For days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. How many of us in our lifetime have heard news that didn't directly relate to us, that didn't directly tie into what we were doing at the time, and we were so cut to the quick that we wept and we mourned for days over the intense spiritual need of someone else. And this flies in the face of everything of everything that we, of how we approach our life, that we've got things to do, we've got stuff that we've got to do, deadlines to meet. But when's the last time we've allowed ourselves to be broken, to be broken by God, not just I'll pray for you, but to be broken before God for spiritual needs in ourselves and in others. One of the greatest enemies of the church today is that we have lost our sense of brokenness over the things that break God's heart. We have lost this sense of weeping, of tragedy. Uh, I was reminded when my, my cousin died, he was 16 years old and killed in a car accident. And, and I was, as we were preparing for his, his service, uh, I remember God speaking to me and saying, Alan, Alan, you're missing the whole point, right? And you're, you're as, as a pastor, getting ready to preach your cousin's funeral, you're missing the point. 
You see, yes, it's tragic to us physically when a teenager's life is cut short by a death. But he, he, as God was speaking to me, I realized that I was missing the greater tragedy. He said the greater tragedy is that there are going to be people that are under the sound of your voice that as you're moping about your cousin, they are on their way to hell. Your cousin is as live as he's ever been. He's in heaven to live as Christ and to die as gain. He's received the full weight of his reward and all you're doing is crying about someone who's experiencing life abundantly as you speak. But the greater tragedy is that there are people that are dying and spending an eternity in hell. They're not going to be condemned one day. According to, Rome, uh, to John chapter 3, they're condemned already. The full weight of the wrath of God is focused on them. And you are focusing on the temporary. May God break our heart for what breaks His. Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember the story? The Pharisee's there, and he's praying, and the tax collector is there, a known sinner. He knew he was a sinner, and he's praying, God, forgive me, right? He's praying a prayer of humility. God, if you can, forgive me, forgive my sins, forgive what I've done, forgive what I've stolen, forgive what I've taken from others. And the Pharisee, the, all the time, right, is praying, God, thank you for not making me like this sinner. And then Jesus asks the question, whose prayer did God hear? Whose prayer was heard by God? James 4, 6 tells us, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Charles Stanley said this, Brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness. Brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray, and I want you to ask God to reveal one area in your life in which you have lost your sense of brokenness. Maybe it's an area in, in your life, maybe it's for someone else. Maybe an area where you've grown cold in your walk with the Lord. Maybe it's a loved one that doesn't know Jesus and you have just written them off. You've grown cold to being broken for them in their spiritual need. Maybe it's an area in your own life, but ask God to reveal an area of brokenness in your life that you have grown cold to. And I want you to write it down. I just want you to write it down. Just one area, I want you to write it down. Father, we agree, God, with your word, that God, what we have written down, God, is, is an area, God, that we have failed to surrender to you. Father, we believe that, but God, I pray that we wouldn't just live with that belief, God. I pray that we would apply it to our life. God, I pray that you would break our hearts afresh and anew for the things that break your heart. God, let, us, or let our hearts beat in sync with yours, with the, with the rhythm, God, of redemption throughout all history. God, break us. Break us of our sin Break us for the sin and the brokenness of others, God, so that we can minister in whatever capacity that we need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Number three, Nehemiah's prayer was proven by persistence. Proven 
by persistence. Listen to what it says in verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and who keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the hear, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servant. Nehemiah was not content to leave a, lead a passing prayer to shoot up a Hail Mary passed at the end of a ball game. He wasn't content to just allow prayer to be something he mentions and then for the rest of his life neglected. He said, God, break my heart. I'm conf- um, he says there that I'm attentive. Let your ear be attentive to the eye, and your eyes open to the hear the prayer of your servant that I pray night and day. Night and day, persistently, passionately, this is on my heart. As you have broken my heart for something that is existing in this world, in reality today, God, I pray that I would, as I passionately seek you, as I persistently seek you, even if I don't feel like I'm getting the answer that I want immediately, even if I feel like heaven's silent, I'm going to continue to pursue you, not so that you'll answer my request, but because of who you are. God, I persistently seek you night and day for the people of Israel, your servants. Studies show that you have to do something 21 times to make it a habit. 21 times you've got to do something to make it a habit. When's the last time that God's laid something on your heart and on my heart so passionately and so heavily that we're willing to make it a habit of ours to pray for it? What in my life do I care about that much We may have all experienced that. You may have experienced a time in your life where you prayed about something night and day, over and over and over. Chances are, a time of desperate need is typically what drives us to persistent prayer, is it not? It's a time of desperate need. God, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. God, I don't know how to get my lost, wayward son back into church. God, I don't know how I'm going to provide in this area of my life. God, I don't know I'm in desperate need need of you, and I need you to show up. Maybe, in those cases, we are persistent in prayer, right? When there's a time of desperate need that we feel in our life. But let me remind you of something. That feeling of desperation is not something that you experience every now and then. It is a daily reality for you. Here's what I mean by that. When we feel desperate for God, we persist in prayer. But church, there is not a person under the sound of my voice that is not as desperate for God today as they have ever been. The difference is, we just may not feel it. 
Scripture tells us that he upholds all things by the word of his power. That literally, in Christ, all things exist. Right? He holds us together. Church, we are in desperate and perpetual need and desperate need of Jesus every single day. And for us to say, God, I need you now, and so I'll persist in prayer now because there's this felt need in my life is denying the reality that we are all in desperate need of him right now. Right now. That's perception. It's not reality. We need him just as much today. As we needed him yesterday. And as we needed him in that time in the valley. We need him just as desperately. Will you seek him persistently? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down. The last time. In your life that you have persistently prayed for something. I want you to write that occasion down, what the circumstances were. I want you to write it down, a time that you have persistently prayed for something in your life. And I want you to pray that God would give you the same persistence in, area, in prayer in specific areas of your life today. Would you do that? Write down a time that you were persistent in prayer, and then I pray that God would give you new brokenness and new discipline to pray persistently about things that you're dealing with right now. Would you do that? God, as we are spending time with you, as you are revealing areas of our life, and that maybe in our life we, we haven't even thought of in a while, God, I pray that we would pursue you. God, with a desperate passion for you. God, there's not a person in this room that doesn't recognize their dependence on you. But God, let us live with the urgency of that dependence. Let us pray to you persistently, not just about the big things that really matter to us, but God, the things that matter in eternity, the things that matter forever, the things that matter to you. Give us a heart of persistence and endurance as we seek you in areas where we desperately need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Number four, Nehemiah's prayer was commenced by confession. Commenced by confession. Listen to what it says in verse 6, part B. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. We haven't done these things. We're confessing to you right now, God, that we haven't done these things. We've broken your law. We've neglected your truth. And God, we have not persisted in prayer. Reminded of a story of my son. This past week, he got in trouble. He got in trouble, and his brother, so most of the time they get in trouble together. But this time it was just Hudson. And he had, he had done, so I don't even remember what the circumstances were, but he got in a lot of trouble. And every night we, we pray and we read a little Bible story before they go to bed, and this was his night to pray. And so Hudson prayed, and I just noticed that nothing about what had happened that night was in his prayer. And I just said, buddy, you know... You can pray and ask God for forgiveness, you know, when you do things wrong, and he'll forgive you. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, yeah, Dad, but God already knowed that. 
Like, he already knowed it. Like, why didn't you pray, son, about this thing that you did wrong? Well, God already knowed it, right? And so, and so he, just, he just assumed, right? I mean, God was all-knowing, so he obviously knew my sin. So I didn't have to mess with that because, well, it, it made me look bad. It casted me in a negative light, and God already knowed that, right? And so many of us in our life, we treat our sin like God already knowed it. Right? We treat our sin like, hey, I know this is a big deal, and God, you know I struggle with it. But listen, be specific about your confession. Listen, your sin is the one thing that is separating you from perfect unity with God. We should have a divine hatred for it. And so here's what I want you to do. Just as Nehemiah did, confessing specific sins of how he had fallen short, I want to give you an opportunity to stay close and clean to Jesus. I want you to take time, and I want you to write out specific times where this week you have fallen short, or recently where you have fallen short in your walk with the God, and I just want you to repent. I just want you to repent of it. Get that sin, deal with it, take it to the Lord, and I want you to repent of it right now. Father, we admit our brokenness to you. God, we admit our sins to you. God, as this morning, God, I laid out this, my sin before you. God, thank you for the gift of forgiveness. God, we confess them to you. And Lord, we know that if you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, thank you for the truth of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Number five, Nehemiah's prayer was filled with faith. Listen to what it says in verse eight. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcast, are, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them out of the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah, in a time where restoration seemed as far away as possible, Right? Not only was he in exile and so many with him, not only was there just a very small number of Jews even living in the land that they once inherited, that they once had as their possession, but he just heard that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Mount Zion has fallen. As far away as restoration and redemption seemed to him, Despite evidence to the contrary, Nehemiah believed that God was still faithful. And he believed that through his confession, if he would return to God, that God would do what God does and he would return to him. The question is not if God is faithful, but rather if we will be faithful in return. God has proven his faithfulness. Regardless of what it seems like, regardless of what it feels like, trust God at his word. He didn't need a sign. He didn't need to put out a fleece. As far away as restoration felt, because God had spoken it in his word, he knew that he would be faithful to it. And God can be faithful to you. Nehemiah returned to the Lord long before he ever returned to the promised land. He returned to the Lord long before 
he returned to the promised land. If you're waiting for God to fit all your pieces together before you'll believe him and trust him and obey him, it will never happen. We have to believe in faith and watch God provide for us. Right? That's the message of giving. Right? We've been through that. Watch God provide for us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down an area of your life that requires you to have faith. An area right now in your life that requires you to have faith. Then I want you to write down a time in the past. After you do that, I want you to write down a time in the past where God has proven his faithfulness to you. I want you to remember, I want you to recall, a time where your faith is required of you today, but then right after that, I want you to write down a time that God has proven his faithfulness to you. Do that now. God, we have tasted and seen that you are good. And your faithfulness is new every morning. Father God, let us not miss your faithfulness in the middle of our failures, in the middle of our miseries. God, let us be focused on this one thing. As we sang earlier, the same God who never fails will never fail us. We will not fail us now. God, we rely and we depend on your faithfulness. God, give us faith to be faithful in return, God, to your incredible faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sixth sixth and finally, Nehemiah's prayer was concluded with commitment. It was concluded with commitment. Listen to what he says, Nehemiah 1, verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now... I was a cupbearer for the king. After this time of prayer, I I get a picture of Nehemiah walking to deliver the cup to the king as he's praying this prayer. God, looking at the cup perhaps, God, give me strength. Now as I have prayed and I have sought you to do something about our communion together. Help me, give me success as I talk to this man. You know what Nehemiah realized? Through Nehemiah's prayer, God was preparing and maneuvering Nehemiah to see his position as an opportunity to make a difference. Nehemiah had the opportunity to make a difference. He may have never thought of it before. He never may, may have never thought, I'm the man for the job, right? I'm the man to rebuild the walls. But through prayer, God had maneuvered his heart to where when he's walking before the king, he thought, I'm the one to meet this need. If our prayer never meets activity James would tell us it's dead. Faith without works is dead. And so our prayers have to find their way to our legs and our feet. D.L. Moody said every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure, right? To a man who spent time in prayer and then was motivated by the power and the presence of God to make a difference in his life. Some of you need to hear this today. You have been uniquely positioned by God 
in the exact place that you are in to make a specific impact for the kingdom of God where you're at. There is no accident that you are in the position and the place that you are in. God has called you there for a purpose. And if you don't know what that purpose is right now, it's not because God isn't faithful anymore. It's because we haven't positioned ourselves where we can see what he's doing where we're at. There's action that's required when the amen is through. When our prayers are concluded, what is it that God is giving you? What direction is God giving you to pursue? And so lastly, I want you to do this. Write down at least one specific way that God has called you to respond to your time spent in prayer with Him today. I want you to make it specific. What has God told you and how does God want you to respond today? Write it down. What is it that God's taught you in this time? God, it is my prayer that as we've spent this time Lord, in your presence, marinating on your word and marinating on your word spoken directly to us through it. God, I pray that we would never, 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 God, allow ourselves to be unchanged. God, we confess our sins. God, we pour ourselves out to you. God, we're broken for you. God, awaken us to the needs of others. God, send us now. Send us. We are the church gathered, but in a moment we'll be the church scattered. Help us be light in the dying world, in a dark world. Help us to be salt in a flavorless world. God, help us to be your hands and your feet everywhere that we go. God, send us out with purpose and conviction and passion for those that desperately need you. And Father, I pray as we transition into a time of invitation, if there's one under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today they would not leave this place without getting that right. For one that needs a relationship with you, God, you've broken them today over their sin. You've spoken to them as your Holy Spirit does. You've spoken to them. You've convicted them of the condition of their heart. God, I pray that they would respond to you. God, I pray that they would get up in just a moment. God, that they would walk to these counselors that are here, that they would share with them about their need and desire to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. God, I pray for the one that you've been drawing to become church members here. God, to be have accountability in the body of Christ here. God, I pray that they would respond in that way. But God, let our time of prayer, let our time with you, God, be tangible in real ways in our life. Let us respond to you. Let us put feet to what you've spoken to us. Father, we just pray that you would have this moment, have this time. You be glorified in it. It's in Christ's name.